as a girl who grew up with an ex-playmate for a mom, a dad who was in the entertainment industry, living in Los Angeles, I developed eating disorder behavior from a very young age, and I still deal with body dysmorphic disorder to this day. The way that I combat all of these things is by taking care of my mental and emotional health. A few months ago, I decided that I needed to do a social media purge. I needed to unfollow all of the accounts that made me feel bad about my body. Because the truth is that even before I had kids, I didn't feel great about it. And now as a mom with stretch marks and cellulite and scars and all of the things, I am working on body acceptance. So I unfollowed a number of accounts and shortly thereafter, I came across an account that was absolutely beautiful to me. The account is the bird's papaya. I didn't care who this woman was. I didn't care what she had to say at the time. All I cared about was that I was seeing a body like mine on social media for the very, very first time. I have the honor of sitting down and talking with Sarah Landry today. She is a kick-ass mom from Canada who is literally changing the way we show up on social media. This episode is epic. I absolutely love her message, and I'm sure that you guys are going to enjoy it too. It's Alexis Haynes, and this is my podcast, Recovering from Reality. I want to start with um, with your journey, like how how you got to becoming. Um, where you're at today and, and so open and vulnerable. Okay. I mean, well, first of all, thanks for having me. So excited to be here. Growing up, I was naturally just a like chubbier little girl right into when I was like in 12, 13, 14, I was already wearing plus size clothes. I was bigger than all of my other friends. And I got really used to kind of relying on my humor, relying on my personality to kind of like get me out of that discomfort of what I felt like to be in my body. So I was very, um, had very off and on relationships with dieting ever since I was about 14, I think is the first diet that I really remember being in. Never really had a lot of what quote unquote success with them. Um, never really dealt with any core issues or anything. And then at 19, I got married. I had three kids by the time I was 25. And at 28 years old, I was sitting at 225 pounds and I decided to do something about that because that was seemingly a very big problem. My body seemed to be this thing that I needed to overcome. And so there is good parts of that and there's bad parts of that. The good parts of that is that I finally started to have some, um, some empowerment with myself and understanding that I could change my lifestyle and I could do things that really made me feel good. The downside of it was that I was targeting my body with a ton of hate. Just this notion that if I just lost weight, then I would love myself. If I just looked like this, I would love myself. If I carved out my body just a little bit more, I would love myself. And at the end of losing a hundred pounds, I was sitting at, you know, 200 or I went from 225 pounds to 125 pounds and, uh, realized that, you know, I was still not happy. There was not a a lot left to give of myself, but I was still just retargeting that hate that kind of generated my weight loss in the first place. And then um, I went through kind of this long coming divorce and my weight dropped even further. I went down to 114 pounds and the world just praised me for it. I was complimented like crazy And it really woke me up to how skewed we are on over glamorizing thinness. And we didn't, it was no longer about how I was getting healthy. Now it was just how small can I be and how much people adored me for it. And then at the same time, 
there was a lot of concerns about an eating disorder and that still wasn't the issue. There was just a lot going on in my life and there wasn't a lot of room for um, that change and that acceptance and, and just almost stopping the conversation about my body. So in this whole process, I had been sharing my weight loss journey, like so proud of it, all of this stuff that was going on. I mean, there was a lot of it that I was really, really proud of, but it left me with some major emotional scars and a lot of pressure on my body to perform. And I started about a year and a half, two years ago, I started to really change what that meant for me and how I was presenting myself online. I started taking all those aspects of my body that I was ashamed of and started having conversations about them. And it turned into a massive um, self-acceptance and body confident uh, movement from in my own life and obviously in the online community as well. And I have just spent every day educating myself on the woman's body, educating myself on diet culture and just acceptance like across so many diverse body types and people and age and everything. And it's been a remarkable kind of journey all the way through. What did it feel like when you posted that very first photo of your body unedited and perfectly imperfect on the on Instagram for the world to see. It was also very curated the way I was sharing. I was tiptoeing into the room of body confidence and taking myself away from this shame. Um, so I was showing like a very small, like very angled pictures. Like where it was kind of still like the really nicely toned looking, but then I had stretch marks, you know, there was a lot of things that I was kind of like manipulating in that sense as well. Cause I wasn't quite ready to be completely real about it. And mm-hmm. every single time it scared the crap out of me before I posted something, I knew it was important. That was like a bit, bit of an indicator for me. If it was something that scared me, that I knew that I was channeling a deeper part of me that I was going to deep, go a little bit deeper, a little bit more vulnerable, and it was going to make a bigger impact. So I stopped trying to be so scared of that feeling and kind of use it as, you know, I'm in the right, I'm going in the right direction. If it scares me a little bit to share this, then I'm probably doing something that's going to make a difference. I've been between 110 and 120 pounds my whole life and I'm five foot six. So I've always been very thin. Um, and then even, and like I said, I've, I've dealt with eating disorder behavior and restrictive eating and counting calories since I was, I can't even remember how, how young I was. And, um, you know, and then my drug addiction really fueled that too, because I didn't have to eat Mm -hmm. because I was constantly numbing my body out and making it not hungry. And so, um, then I got sober and we talk about this a lot, um, for people in recovery, like you kind of gain that rehab 20. Um, and I definitely did. And then I remember looking at myself a couple months sober and being like, I hate this. And so then I became addicted to working out and restrictive eating again. So I've always kind of been in this yo-yo. And then, um, when I got pregnant with my oldest daughter, Harper, I ballooned. I went up to 186 pounds and I gained 68 pounds with her. I found out that I had um, hypoglycemia my whole life and I had a really hard time balancing my blood sugar with her. And so I was constantly craving sugar, sugar, sugar carbs in the hopes of, um, you know, not feeling shaky and whatever else. And, um, I was really ridiculed for my weight. It was brutal. I remember there was some, um, paparazzi pictures that went out right after I'd had my daughter. She was about maybe four to six weeks old. I ended up having a C-section and I was called a pig and, oh my God, her husband's totally going to leave her now that she's so big. And did you see her ass and those leggings? And it was it was horrifying. It's, it's it, disgusting behavior. It really is. It's I think so when I hear stories like that, it just reminds me of like what we're living in and what we're existing in. And it feels like such a female issue. It feels like it's how do we just come to love our bodies and why are we suffering and struggling so much? And even right there, you said, you know, someone shared your photo, created an opinion and talked about how your husband is going to feel towards you. It's creating an entire society conversation around you that has to deal with how your body is in appealing in appeasement to men. 
it becomes this. And the more that we start to tap into this, that we're like, hang on a second, who's been generating all of these conversations around our body and who decided what was sexy and who decided what we should be confident in or not. And when it comes down to these core things, it comes down to, you know, a lot of men who are trying to oppress the female body. And for them, it's stemming from, you know, they're coming out of a very porn culture society where they are struggling with seeing one type of woman, seeing one type of diversity or like not no diversity. Mm-hmm. And then they're applying that feeling and they're placing it on the people in their life. So it's like this cycle that we can't quite get ourselves out of because then women are feeling more ashamed. We keep our shirts on. We stay out of the mm-hmm. beaches. We don't take photos. And so men only see one type of woman. Before mm-hmm. we were even in this world of Iowa movement, I posted a photo of me before and after. Um, and I said, there's aside from my weight, there was nothing at all different in these two photos. Like my value as a mother weighs far mm-hmm. more than my body weight, my value as yeah. like a contributing member of society and a friend and a daughter and somebody who devotes their life to helping people. I was that same person here than I am now at 137 pounds, you know, yes. and, and yes. that there's absolutely no difference. And so, you know, this, this journey for me, I still struggle with it. Like I don't want to be in a bathing suit in front of people. I Mm -hmm. don't feel comfortable um, wearing shorts a lot of the time. And so when I see your post encouraging us to just fuck it, I have a little cellulite on my ass, but I'm going to wear shorts anyways. And I'm going to wear a bikini anyways. And I have a roll of back fat that drives me nuts. And you know, and when I care about this too, (laughs) and this kind of bothers me too, because for Hollywood standards, living in LA, like I'm fat, I'm a size six. Yeah. And like, that's not skinny enough. And so when no. I post this stuff and talk about my feelings, I'm also, I'm often, um, I'm often told like, what are you talking about? You're crazy. How could you possibly feel this way? Look at your body. I would kill to have your body, blah, 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 blah. So we're still kind of in this place where we're comparing no matter what we are, you know, we're it becomes the pain Olympics. Period. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it becomes the, the pain, pain Olympics, Olympics and it, it does because it's, it's really hard. I'm the same way. I'm a, I'm around like a size six, eight and by all means, I am a thin woman. Like by, by like actual size standards, I still can shop in normal stores. I do still like I am still considered somebody who is like relatively thin size mm-hmm. two is like that fashion standard. So for the women who are size six or size eight, that's actually plus size for the modeling industry. So the modeling industry is showing that, you know, if you, so for instance, let's say it's a plus size store, their models are often a size six or size eight. They're not actually plus size all the time. This is starting to change. We are starting to see that. But then no wonder we feel so much body dysmorphia when we see ourselves in photos or see our reflection and we feel like something totally different than what we are Mm -hmm. because we've been seeing ourselves represented in a totally different category that we're even shopping at. And imagine the women who are in those sizes. They're seeing somebody in a size six wearing their clothes. Like they're getting that same kind of issue happen for them. And I think one thing that's really um, woken me up is I had a lot of like, I think we all kind of have like fat phobia. I think many of us mm-hmm. do. We we are scared of being fat. And for me, like coming through weight loss, that, that was like a huge thing. And following women who are body confident in a larger size body who are fat identifying or wear a plus size clothes, they have really changed me because I'm so like as a woman, like attracted to them. Like I'm so attracted to them. I'm attracted to their confidence. I'm realizing that their size, yes, but their size is the least important thing about them. Mm -hmm. Like, and and you start to kind of get that. And I've been reading a lot more about like body neutrality, which is like just being neutral about things, understanding that like, maybe you're not confident about everything. Maybe you're not like feeling crappy about yourself either. Maybe you just identify with the fact that like our bodies aren't everything. And you know what? They're going to change. Our bodies are going to change a million times. We're going to have seasons of postpartum. We're going to have seasons of like potentially illness or stress. There's going to be times that 
we have a lot more availability to get to the gym or we have the money to be able to spend on, you know, better food programs or whatever it is. But there are seasons of life that that isn't the case. I've had to learn a lot about, um, you know, when you express your, when you express something in a vulnerable position, there will be people who want to shut you down because their pain feels worse. But at the same time, I think as we learn, all of us are struggling. We're all struggling. So yeah. just because someone is a size two and struggling doesn't make her any, any better, any worse than a woman who's a size 24 and struggling. We and all are in the same battle. Double zero and was struggling. Yeah. The, of you know course. what I mean? It's like, we all are because here's the thing. I we all are double zero, but I didn't have the perkiest tits. And I didn't yeah. have a perfectly plump boob, uh, but we I find something have, to hate. You know, I didn't have perfectly toned arms. And so, you know, we're constantly criticizing ourselves based on like yeah. what we're seeing in the world around us. And it literally takes up so much of our mental space by the time we're in fifth grade. You know, so yes. many of us are already dealing with this at age nine or 10. I mean, my daughter is six and we talk a lot mm -hmm. in our house about diversity and inclusion and um, being kind humans and what that looks like. And um, it's something that's celebrated here. And it's definitely something that that needs to be taught because we need to start having these conversations with our kids before the fifth grade, before they're seeing the ads and, you know, the in the models oh, of so the skinny kids modeling and all of that stuff. We need to be having these conversations from the second that they start getting curious and not to shut them down when they have them. I'm like, sh sh you shouldn't be saying that, you know, and, yeah, and know. instead to say stuff like with my daughter, I say, um, and I'd be curious as to know like what you do with your kids. Your kids are older than mine. So I, I they basically are. say, um, you know, everybody is different. People are different, different ethnicities. They different. have different genes. You know, they have this, they have that. And it should all be celebrated because it's all perfectly normal. Absolutely. And, you know, it's so like I created a bit of a diet culture free environment in our home. I wasn't always the best at that. But I have understood now how much like we reflect our own, even like talking about ourselves, start to reflect mm -hmm. onto our children. So if we're walking around and saying like, does this make me look fat or like I'm feeling fat or I'm eating this because it's like better for me because I'm trying to do this or I'm trying to lose weight, it starts to create an inner dialogue in our children. And again, didn't do the greatest job of this, but I'm learning and I'm evolving from it because my daughters are um, 13 and 11. My son is nine. We have to have a lot of conversation because my oldest is naturally a lot thinner. My, um, daughter, my middle daughter is of a bigger stature, but she's also way stronger. She is way more athletic. She has all these different things. So we have to like really cut away from like body conversations at all. Because if I talk about, you know, you might be bigger, but you're stronger. What is that saying to my older daughter who daughter. is, you know, uh, not a, yes. not athletic, but she is very, very thin. So my 11 year old, when she was called fat for the first time, I think at around age eight or nine, Oof. she came home like broken. She came home broken yeah. and I was broken because it brought me right back to the seventh grade being called fat by a boy. And it, and it's like, it's trauma. It stays with you forever. And these things that start to embed themselves in our brain that never really go away, but we learn to like, we learn to kind of deal with them. We learn like what's right and what's wrong. So when it was my own daughters, like going through this type of thing, you know, and I see it, my oldest, like she doesn't eat like crap, but she's a very picky eater. And she eats like 95% carbs in her diet. She does not eat the vegetables. And here's my other daughter who's trying really hard to like, she wants to eat healthy. She's very into like trying different foods and like making different things. And her body just sits naturally at a bigger weight. So we've removed scales from our house. When they go to the doctor's office, I ask for them to face away from the scale. I don't want them to become um, to start placing their identity into a number or into a size and just like celebrate the diversity of our bodies and how, you know, it's going to change a lot. Sometimes we kind of have these seasons, especially going through like puberty, their bodies change so much and they start to really compare to each other. Like I remember being mm. jealous in the seventh grade when like girls had their periods and I didn't like, that's how far we get into yeah. like the comparison black hole. So yeah. it's, I know, exactly. like I really getting boobs to... first, all of that stuff. Yep. 
I also got, um, I've also gotten my daughters. There is a company called Love Powered Co. And they create these empowerment cards that the kids can actually read every single day. They make them for children and they make them for teens and women. I've, I use them for myself as like just part of like my daily meditation and mantras. Um, I have the teen collection for my daughter as well. When she went through being called fat at school, we started reading these and it would just say things like, I am beautiful and um, like, I am strong. And like, it kind of gives a little detailed thing. And like, when's the last time you really felt beautiful? And it took her out of like this shame cycle of like, somebody has said something and labeled me with this and we're going to change the conversation. And let's remember a time that I felt beautiful and how can we tap into that again? And mm-hmm. so when we start to create an awareness around like, you know, they're such a young age, they haven't really even come into this place of awareness when it comes to, I identified that somebody called me that and that's because they're misguided, not because something's wrong with my body. We don't, they don't have that yet. So all they're hearing is something's wrong with me and that's going to carry with them for many, many years. I'm 34 years old and I'm just figuring this out. I'm just figuring out now that somebody's opinion about my body doesn't really give them like that grounds to kind of have it and I'm quick to dismiss it now because mm-hmm. you know Brene Brown like love her love but when her. she talks Talk about, about like unless episode. you're in the arena yeah like yeah. unless you're in the arena getting your ass kicked mm-hmm. you don't really get an opinion and we have to remember you know. like our bodies are our arena like we yeah. I know what's going on like I'm the only one that's feeling the things I'm feeling I'm not going to go and like burn myself out I've been dealing with all, all these hormone imbalances for months and I've been like on major burnout and major like, like stress issues and my cortisol is all off. Like all of these things are going on, but I was the only one that could identify that because from everybody else looking from the outside in, they're like, well, what do you have to complain about? Like your body looks fine. I mean, you, you eat well, you exercise, but I knew something was wrong. So it's not about those outside opinions unless you're going and asking for it, unless you're in the arena with them until I'm sitting down with my naturopath and we're having these conversations because we're in the arena together now, those opinions now, now don't matter. And the same goes like in our home, like my husband, it used to drive me crazy about him, but it doesn't say an opinion about my body. And it, ma- and it used to make me nuts. Cause I'm like, come on, like my body has definitely flexed like probably around like 30 pounds since we got together, like, or since he met me, because he met me when I was just recently divorced and I was 114 pounds. I don't even know where I am now, but I'm probably somewhere around like 140. So, I mean, he's seen like a flex in my weight for sure, but he's never made a comment. He's never said anything good or bad. Like he never said anything then. And he never says anything now. He'll just be like, you're always beautiful. And it used to annoy me, but now I'm like, no, because he doesn't, he doesn't put my beauty in my identity of what size my body is. He's actually honoring mm. my body at all stages. And he was the one that first said to me, he's like, you know, your body, like body's ebb and flow. He's like, I go up and down like 30 pounds between like winter and summer. Like it's just how my body is. And, and when he said that, I was like, huh, I don't feel less attracted to you when you've had those changes. So why do I create that same conversation within my own relationship with him because it doesn't exist. Like he's actually really okay with uh, like, if I'm feeling confident, that's what he's attracted to. He's, I don't think he's attracted to it when I'm, you know, down on myself and, and pulling myself apart or start wearing t-shirts in the bedroom again, or walking out of the room backwards. Like it used to, yeah. um, yeah, you know, like we do these things cause we, we create this shame cycle and we strip ourselves of like intimacy and moments and memories because you know, our body isn't what we think we want it to be at. But then when you think back on it, I don't really ever remember a time that I was really happy with my body. I really liked my body when I was pregnant because I felt like it was doing something cool. (laughs) But I mean, I had issues. There was never a time. So when we talk, especially in postpartum, you know, everybody's body changes so much. And we're like, oh, I just want to get my snap back. And we're like, snap back to what though? Because like, I, if we weren't happy before, we're not going to be happy after. So there's kind of like this, how do we, instead of this bounce back conversation, how do we bounce forward? Like, how do we, how do we evolve as humans and accept change and embrace change while still honoring our bodies, still knowing that we care about what we intake, that we care about, you know, our blood pumping, that we care about our, you know, nutrition or, you know, whatever it is that we care about, that's still our choice. And we still get to honor it however we want, but we don't get to really place those opinions on others. And we don't get to kind of compare our story to somebody else's. And, and we don't really have to bounce back to anything. We really get to kind of just bounce forward. I had such a hard time with that. So I opted to have a mommy makeover after I had Mm -hmm. my second daughter. 
I had very common. A very, I had a tummy just like yours. That was perfect, yep. but yeah, different. And I yep. didn't feel good about it for a number of reasons. Well, first of all, I did have two hernias in my stomach mm-hmm. that I needed to have patched, and I had severe diastasis recti, the separation yep. of the abdominal muscles. Yeah. And, um, and I decided to have this mommy makeover and before I did it, I, I still, I will say I still did feel really uncomfortable. I had sex with my shirt on in front of my husband, no matter what, before I had my, my mommy makeover. I just, for me, while I can acknowledge, like, this is just my body now, it's changed, it's stretched, it's grown two children, it's birthed two children, it's had one C-section, it has been through a lot, and I love it, and I still love my stretch marks, and I'm I'm becoming mm-hmm. more and more comfortable with my, you know, I call them perfect imperfections, like all of the little things yeah. that, that have changed. Yeah. I ultimately decided to do this and I went into it feeling like I was doing it for both of us. I was doing it for me because I, I honestly, like if we were having sex with my shirt off, I could, I wouldn't be turned on. I just couldn't. And and you you were were talking about fat phobia and like, like for me, like I was just constantly in my head about this is gross and I'm just. Especially yeah. when I was like hanging over him, I was like, "Oh my god, my boobs, yeah. and my stomach! I can't I know. look at this." And so then it would like take me right out of the intimate experience. And then for him, yeah. because like you said, I wanted to have that confidence back of feeling yes sexy and feeling healthy and feeling um, joy around my nudity. Honestly, of course, and, and you I know didn't what? It's so feel funny. that before. No, it's so funny. Cause I think a lot of people would just assume that I'm just like anti any type of like enhancements or changes that you do with our body. But the fact is while I've shared my own journey with stuff and my own, like coming through different seasons and ultimately like I had fully planned on this exact same surgery, but, um, I didn't have the money for it. And I was just going through a season of like, I just want to work through like if I could accept this. And I did. Like I got to a place where I ended up being offered mm-hmm. one for free. And I was like, I don't really want to do it. Like I'm okay. Like I'm actually fine now. Like I wasn't dealing with those same things. But the fact of the matter is, if we are going to be people that we kind of like shake judgment sticks on other people and what they chose to do with their body, we're completely off the wagon of what this whole body positive movement is about. Because at the end of the day, having authority over our bodies is the number one part of finding confidence in your body. If we feel like we don't no longer have choice in that, then it's a really bad sliding scale on, you know, a conversation I don't even want to have because there's a lot of aspects of me that like, I love to wear makeup and I love to color my hair and I always have my nails done. And there's certain things that I'm just like, this is the things that make me happy too. And if I don't honor the choices that I make about myself, you know, it's just like a really hard, it's a hard curve that we're never going to survive as women because we're never fully going to be on the same pages as everything. So I just want to say like fully honor, like that you have made that decision because that was like your choice for your body and your experiences. And you know what? Other people can choose something totally different and neither is right and neither is wrong. We just have authority over our bodies and we choose what's best for us. And even if we chose the wrong thing, like I know there's a lot of women coming out now with, you know, the, um, breast implant illness and stuff like that. Like, mm-hmm. even if you choose potentially wrong things for your body, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't, I chose a lot of wrong things for my body in the past too, but yeah. I mean, you learn from it and you can curve from that as well. We all yeah. have those moments and they all have those changes. And it's, it's makes no sense to me that in a time that we're fighting so hard for rights over our body and fighting so hard to be accepted that we would sit and look at each other and not accept each other and our differences. So I think that that is, you know, at the core of what I would hope that people will take away is we're just not here to judge. We're just here to like journey together. We're here to like embrace that. That looks different for everybody that the body positive movement is going to look different between you know, so many different stories and it doesn't matter if you're a size two, doesn't matter if you're a size 20, it doesn't matter if you've had the plastic surgeries or not. 
doesn't matter what color you are. doesn't matter how old you are. Like we all have a seat at the table. I always say to moms who reach out to me or like, what diet are you on? And what are you, what's your workout routine? It's like, yes. Well, yes, I eat really clean and I work out. Yeah. Um, don't compare yourself to me because I had a breast lift. I opted not to have implants because I am Mm -hmm. a very sensitive person and I was afraid of breast implants to be honest. Like it freaked me out. But, um, you know, that you're authentic about it and that you're honest with people. I mean, Mm -hmm. I talk about this Mm -hmm. often when I saw all of those girls, Kylie Jenner got her lips done when she was like 17. And I saw all of these young Mm -hmm. girls. She said, Oh no, I didn't. I just use this thing that like sucks my lips in and makes them big. And I saw all of these people (laughs) doing this and I was going, Oh dear God, no, 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 no. This cannot, we can't be doing this. If we're going to have butt implants and we're going to have butt lifts and we're going to have lip injections and all of these things, that's fine. It's your body to alter and to treat the way that you want to treat it. But, mm-hmm. um, at the same time, it's like, you, you have to be clear and you have to be honest yes. and open and transparent about it. You can't have, be, have people following you and just pretending that you naturally have a perfect high perky bum and perfect tits and perfect when that's yeah, not we have our own realities mean? right yeah. we all have our own realities and we all have that parts of us that we're gonna share and not and you know like i am like crazy about my skincare and people often say like why don't you treat your face the same way you treat your body like why are wrinkles on your face not getting the same chance as wrinkles on your body and i was like no like i just i'm actually just really love like face skincare i really love having a like a my face, like, I don't know why, but it means a lot to me when I have like a good textured skin. And I like, you know, it's part of my self care, but they're also so temporary that I get time to like reflect and like choose and all these things. But I mean, again, it's not, it's, we're not out to be perfectionists here. We can't also glamorize, um, you know, quote unquote flaws as like the new popular thing, which is happening a lot. Now people are getting frustrated because they're like, please don't bend your body to look like you have roles when like some of us have roles like that all the time. And I, and I get it, I get it. But at the same time, like when that person shames the other person, then that girl who does sit down in the mirror that doesn't really have roles and then she gets roles and she sits down, maybe she's really identifying with that person online who's saying like, hey, like it's okay to have roles when you sit down. And then, you know what I mean? Like we just, we get, we're going, we're going in the, the pendulum swinging, right? We're going from, you know, we don't want perfect anymore. We just want reality. And then reality comes and we're like, that's too much or you know, we're all trying to fake our imperfections or we're, we're detailing them more than we are anything else. You know, Mm -hmm. I struggle with that sometimes too. Like I'm very aware that even on my own account, you know, I can share something of the heart and it won't have the same impact as like sharing the backs of my thighs, but I'm going to be me at the end of the day. And if it's something authentic to what I'm going through right at this moment, then yeah, I'm going to share it. I have no shame about my cellulite anymore. And I used to have a lot of it. And sometimes sharing it, if it just like wakes one more person up to being like, hey, it's actually not that big a deal. We can still wear shorts and go to the beach if we want to. Then cool. I've done a good job, but I'm not going to fake it. I'm not going to like add fake ad cellulite. Like I've had people who have accused me of like faking my stretch marks. Oh, come on. Yeah. Oh, Oh, come on. Because because there's such a glamorization of... um of flaws right now. Right. Or like what is perceived flaws? Like there is that growth of it, but I mean, so be it. So be it. That's where we are. We're starting to see that there is such a diversity in beauty and that it looks so different on everyone. And, you know, I have a sister who has given birth to six kids and her and I have the same genetic makeup and our bodies look nothing alike. She doesn't even have a stretch mark on her stomach. Mm -hmm. We have completely different makeup of our bodies. So we can't really go down this whole road of you know, what's right for everybody. At the end of the day, I think we're all just seeking, you know, some more self-acceptance, even just saying, you know, I'm okay. Like I don't hate myself today. I might not love myself, but like, I'm okay. And, and just encouraging more dialogue around, you know, being aware of what diet culture looks like and who's profiting off of us feeling bad about our bodies. Michelle Obama was really passionate about getting kids healthy food and ending childhood obesity. Mm -hmm. That was kind of her mission. And it became a huge dialogue here in the States. And there's lots of movies out um, talking about how in grocery stores, um, you know, 80% of foods have added corn syrup. 
Yeah. And, you know, and, and we looked at, uh, at, uh, they looked at the fast food industry and just the food that we're feeding our kids and the foods that are in our schools. And, and, um, it, it became a huge topic here in the U S well, um, I have mixed feelings about this. I mean, um, I can understand from, from her perspective and as a public health perspective, like, you know, the, the dangers of diabetes and, Mm -hmm. and the risks associated with obesity and with, um, you know, consuming over X amount of grams of sugar a day and only eating carbs and whatever else. I, I, I understand that. Um, but I think that if we're going to tackle this issue, I don't even like calling it an issue topic. If we're mm-hmm. going to talk about this topic, we have to talk about so many different things. Sure. Putting corn syrup in all of our foods is probably not good for us. Sure, um, eating fast food all the time is probably not good for us. Sure, becoming diabetic is obviously not good for us. Um, but there's so much more to it. And when we look at the amount of people in this day and age who are a struggling, working two jobs, Mm -hmm. super busy, Mm -hmm. um, moms who pick up their kids from school at 515, Mm -hmm. still have homework and stuff to do in bath time don't have time to cook a meal and run through the Jack in the box five nights a week yeah. because that's all that she can do. Yeah. And when we actually look at like how this is transpiring, this isn't necessarily obviously, like I said, having corn syrup in all of our food is not great, right. but we have to actually look at, at like as a society and as a culture, like how did we get here? I so hear what you're saying because I was a single mom for a season and it's really hard to buy groceries that are completely clean and, you know, avoid everything that's quick and easy and convenient because everything has something added into it. It's also really hard to avoid the epi- like the, the pure epidemic that is eating disorders. The fact that eating disorders mm-hmm. have the highest mortality rate out of any mental illness. They are not always identified because binge eating is one of the least diagnosed um, eating disorders. There is a lot mm-hmm. going on and it's really hard to, in one degree, teach education around food without trying to treat restriction. And at the same time, trying to avoid the eating disorder, you know, epidemic. So there's balance. I find that in our home, we try and teach that, like, we try and teach nourishment in the sense that like, what is this food doing for me? Is it okay? And then we also just treat grace. Like we're busy today. We're short on money. We have to go get this today. And that's okay. Like we have, you have to create a balance and you have to stop. Like there's, there's a lot of, um, unfortunate things about what happens when you are lower income. It is very hard to eat within the guidelines that is all the nutritional guidelines out there. Mm-hmm. It is. And it's also really hard when you are struggling to kind of make ends meet and you're working these multiple jobs and you're having to pay for childcare and you're having to somehow get a meal that's got all their nutritional checklists and make sure there's no corn syrup in it and make sure they're having less than this a day and less than that a day. I mean, it's hard. It's hard for all of us, let alone those who are moms who are struggling and, you know, making ends meet. We got to have grace. That's where grace comes in. Very, very big. Um, I think for a lot of what I think to Michelle's point is, um, there's a lot of undereducated movements happening where we're just, it's maybe she's just trying to create an awareness. I think the awareness is important, but I think that judging or shaming within that is very difficult too. The bigger conversation, it's, it's so much, it's so much bigger than that because even when you're going to like, if you're someone who's living off of like even a food bank, you don't really get to choose what you're eating anymore. You are now given those mm-hmm. choices to you. We don't, we're not equal. Exactly. So we cannot teach from a privileged exactly. standpoint to those who are not that, that same privilege. Yeah. So regardless of all of it, and what I actually don't usually talk about my diet at all because I have a lot of like intolerances. So when people are like, what do you eat in a day? I'm like, I'm not going to tell you because that's what works for my body. That works for our budget, for our lifestyle. I mean, yes, I try and avoid my kids having too much sugar, but that's also, I'm trying to teach them to like, have authority over their body and like reflect on their choices and understand those things. I also know they're going to go off to university one day and they're going to struggle 
financially and they're going to have to learn those curves just like the rest day. of us. Yeah. My yeah. son eats ramen every day right now. <laughs> yeah. um, eat ramen every day. Oh I my mean, gosh. Like it is it, such a thing. It is so important. Yeah. It's so important to have these conversations, um, with our kids now. And I take the same approach. Like when my yeah. kids get weighed, I say, Oh my gosh, you're X amount of pounds strong. You yeah. know, like I never talk about their, their size. And I have two kids that are totally different kids. I have one, I have a four-year-old or a five, a six-year-old, sorry, six-year-old who's 41 pounds. And I have a three-year-old who is not even three yet. Who's 37 pounds. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. they're three years apart and three pounds apart. Yeah. My toddler is by no means, I mean, I don't keep a lot of sugar in my house. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and she eats probably like two avocados a day. I'm not going to lie. And she is just Sounds like a great eater. kid. <laughs> she's like my spirit animal. She, yeah, she's just, she's a big eater and she's an active kid and mm-hmm. she has a different body type. I mean, I've known this since the time they were born. My milk was different between yes. the two of them. My, my milk with my first was a lot of water. And then when I'd pump, it'd be like cream on top. And then my second baby, it was like all cream water on top. I mean, yeah. it's just, they're different kids and our bodies no, our bodies know what each child needs. And that's why our milk is different with each child. So, um, you know, it's, it's an important dialogue that I have with my kids. I, uh, because of my hypoglycemia and because I know my kids are more prone to having it. Um, I talk about, um, you know, the way foods make us feel. I said, do you notice how you feel when you have a lot of sugar mm-hmm. versus when you're eating more protein? Do you notice how you feel when you X, Y, and Z? And so we have these dialogues and we have them at home. And so when I, when I talk about, when I hear people saying you shouldn't support so-and-so's message because they're promoting obesity, my answer is, first of all, there's so many layers to this problem. I mean, like where, where do we start? Do we start in early childhood? Do we start with, um, you know, exactly like poverty? Like, did you grow up without a lot of money? I personally grew up on food stamps for a while. And I know the amount of restriction that you have and what you're able to buy and how much of it you're going to be able to buy. And when you have, um, a hundred dollars a week or $60 a week to feed a family of five. And that, you know, you're eating pasta and prego sauce. You yep. know what I mean? A dollar 99 that's loaded with sugar. And it's totally different than yeah. when you can afford the ground meat, when you yeah. can afford all of these healthy things. There's so we many different induce, layers. We can to- induce shame. I think that there is a moral responsibility when it comes to hospitals and schools um, and things like that, or when it comes to like caring for kids. But as a society, I think we just need to rip away all of like that shame that we create around it. And especially the mommy guilt stuff, because really some of us are just trying to make it. Some of us are just trying to make sure that we have food in our bellies and some aren't even able to do that. We cannot teach from a privileged standpoint to the whole world on what's best for everybody because mm-hmm. we don't know what it's like. We do, we can't go into everybody's homes and have that. I think that the, it's just like, it's almost like taking it as an education piece, but understanding that there is more layers to it. I'm at a position now where I'm a little, I'm not a little bit more. I'm more privileged. I have two, two incomes. I'm now remarried. We have a beautiful home. We have the ability to make food or order food for our kids we have this ability to walk through like the expensive grocery stores and buy all these healthy foods. That wasn't me three years ago. I didn't have that then. So I can't, I, I have a little bit of a different perspective when it comes to, you know, speaking on how we are as parents, because we're all just doing our dang best. Even though I am like a, you know, pretty conscious health focused mom just because I am. And that's what feels best for me. Yeah, of course. Doesn't mean my kids don't go to in and out. They do. Yeah, I know. (laughs) You know, as a family, we eat there. It's like not the end of the world. So it's not the end of the world. And I think um, that's important too. I follow a lot of like, surprisingly, even though I don't have it, I was never diagnosed with an eating disorder. I definitely coming out of um, dieting. I definitely had disordered mm-hmm. eating. So I definitely didn't understand mm-hmm. how to eat throughout the day without tracking it. Or I didn't know how to like forgive myself for having like 
a food that I just craved. So from a lot of that has, I've been following a lot of accounts that are um, eating disorder dialogue and a lot of ones that go into like what it's like to have food conversations around your kids and just removing a lot of like the shame talk that we have around this, like calling foods bad or calling foods good, like stopping the labeling around certain things or like eat this because it's going to do this for your body. Like it's so eye opening when we understand it from like a mental health standpoint. And when we look at food, because I think that that is the bigger issue at hand than like exactly what we're eating. Because as we know, and as we go along in life, we all have different bodies that need that respond differently to different foods. So it's hard to kind of blanket statement what's best for everyone when we don't know what that is. Exactly. I wasn't, it wasn't until I was in my late twenties that I found out that I had all of these different genetic mutations Mm -hmm. that, you know, I shouldn't be eating this and I should stay away from, um, you know, uh, foods with gluten and I should be doing X, Y, and Z and God, what a world of difference that made for me. And so when people ask me, I'm like, yeah, I stick pretty closely to a paleo diet, but that's because it works for me. And then my Uh, other girlfriend who is super healthy and super fit and is like an athlete just tracks her macros and eats whatever she wants. And then my other friend does low cow and then my other, you know what I mean? And then my other friend does keto and it's like, you have to find what works for you and your body. And then I want to talk to you just for a Mm -hmm. second about like diet culture for sure, because all the time when people ask me, what are you eating? It's in reference to them wanting to lose weight. Yes. And so many people talk about, and this is something I absolutely hate and that I'm so grateful for the Iowa movement. And I'm going to hope that I'm saying her right name, right? I can never get it right. Jamil. Jamila Jamila. Yeah, Jamila, I think that's it. Jamila, Jamila. Whatever. She's a freaking queen. Um, I love her so much. She is. I love her so much too. I mean, just put took my words and my thought and <laughs> thoughts and moved them into a whole movement. And it's oh, incredible. Yeah. Um and she has a British accent, so it's always so eloquent. She, I know. I know. It sounds so she's like so put together. I'm like, mm-hmm. this is amazing. Yeah. Um, I loved how she talked about um you know, all of these accounts that are selling like the skinny me tea and the wraps and like all of this crap. And so we're constantly being bombarded Mm -hmm. with, um, basically celebrities who have personal trainers and spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on plastic surgery to look the way that they do telling you that this tea is where it's at, that that the tea is what is making them so fit and thin and whatever else. And so I just want to get your advice about, or for my listeners to hear Mm -hmm. from you, like, how do you, you know, move away from that diet culture and come into a place of, of ultimately of wellness, Mm -hmm. which looks different for everybody. I mean, it's funny because I won't say exactly what tea brand it was, but when I was now getting attention for my weight loss. I've already come through this all on my own. So first of all, I had was not part of a program. I was working out on my bedroom floor at home. Um, Bikini Body Mommy, she's like this really body positive workout at home woman who's actually in California, but she's a good friend of mine. And she has all these like free workouts that you could do at home. So I was doing them on my bedroom floor at home. I was not following a diet program. I was not doing anything like that. And then all of a sudden... I start getting these messages. I've successfully lost, you know, a hundred pounds and these tea companies are flooding my inbox because they want me to be, Mm -hmm. they were willing to pay me a lot of money. Now, keep in mind, I did not have a large following at this point. Like I, I had a substantial, but not, not to what I have now, maybe about a third of it. Um, but I had, yeah, uh, I get the same emails I right now offered. It's I kept brutal. saying, I kept saying no, and they kept upping the offer. So I was offered $13,000 when I was a single mom of three and didn't know if I was going to make my next paycheck. I said no, because the core value around that was completely snaky to say that I, or claim anything around that. And they worded it so nicely. They said it was a wellness team, all these different things that helps that it literally is, um, like it's a diarrhea pill. It's going to clear out your it's system. A it's a laxative. Yeah. 
that's what it is. Like, that's why you have a flat tummy. You're also going to be malnourished and probably dehydrated. Like it's really not good stuff. Mm -hmm. And I said no to it because I was like, this goes against like my core ethics. And it's also like lying. Like that's not how any of this happened. That's not how I lost weight at all. So I'm not going to adhere to that. So when you see people like the Kardashian family and they're profiting off of it, it's frustrating because me in a position of somebody who giving people diarrhea yeah, and like I was in a position where I really needed that money. (laughs) They're not in the position where they need that money. So when they capitalize off of just like straight up their fame, it was the moment I unfollowed them. It was hard because like pop culture wise, I'm such a junkie. I love that crap, but I couldn't listen to it anymore. I couldn't hear it anymore. It was bad for my mental health and diet culture as a whole. I've done so much research on it, you know, back even into like the 1800s, they used to like swear by like taking this vinegar drink every day. And then, you know, we went into the the seventies and eighties and like diet pills that were causing like, like strokes and, you know, heart conditions for people were completely normalized. There has been time after time after time and diet after diet after diet that gets like, you know, completely glamorized as being the next new thing. It's the cure all to everybody. And that's straight up not true. It's not real. It's not sustainable. It's why they never last. It's why there's a new one every single decade. I think we're just in the decade of the flat tummy teas and that being like the thing that everyone wants their quick fix with. Um, not realizing that it's not sustainable. You can't have diarrhea every day and live a healthy life. It doesn't matter. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like they're really it's capitalizing. So and the fact is they're making, when they, when they show something to us and, you know, you said earlier that you unfollowed accounts that made you feel bad, but when you are triggered into feeling bad, when you see somebody else's body and they're telling you, you can have this. If you just do this, mm. who's profiting, who's profiting off of you feeling bad about yourself. And so for me, when it comes to diet culture, which I tell you, there is a lot of education out there on how to lose weight. And I say education loosely. There's a lot of information out there on like how you can lose weight. You Google it. You're going to have like 50 million pages on how to lose weight. But if you go and try and Google, like, how do I stop dieting? There's very little information. There's very little that people are talking about. They're very ashamed Mm -hmm. to talk about, like they talk about like diet, like, Oh, I fell off the wagon. No, like I actually just like got off the bus. Like I'm done. And I don't want to do, I don't want to live that way anymore. Like I want to live with a little bit more balance, a little bit more peace. I want to have a glass of wine with my husband because we're just relaxing at the end of the day. And I don't want to, I don't want to know if that 150 calories of that wine is going to tip my scale over at the end of the day. Like, no, I'm done. So there's not a lot of education there. And so you start to kind of grow an awareness around you know, how much diet is projected onto us. And I just want to say like full out, like diet is not a bad thing. What we eat in a day is a diet. Dieting is not a bad thing either. Sometimes doctors put put us on those things. Sometimes we're put on plans because they're best for our body. But diet culture is trying to make you feel bad to profit off it's of toxic. you so that you change your body and they line their pockets with it. It's the complete, pep- like it's perpetuating illness. It's perpetuating this falsification that you find happiness at the end of a diet rainbow. It's perpetuating that, you know, if you just spent a little bit more money, if you just cared enough to spend that money on yourself, maybe you'll find yourself in a better place and you'll be happier. There are a lot of wonderful programs out there that are not diet culture based. There are a lot of people who are just there as support and as help and they're guiding journeys for lifelong things. But there is a large, large majority that is straight up wanting you to feel crap about about yourself so that they can sell you something that's never going to work so that you buy more things to feel better about yourself so that that doesn't work so that you buy more. It's a billion billions and billions and billions of dollars in that industry. They target you. They target your weakness. They target your um, your feelings and your emotions around your body. And they use it and manipulate it against you to profit. And the more we recognize that, the more we can kind of free ourselves from the grip of it. And we get really kind of angry. <laughs> we get really like, we get really feisty and we kind of become yeah. protective of ourselves. Like I am never going to take your tea. You're never going to take my money because I will not perpetuate a society that is going to oppress not only my body, but going to oppress my daughters too. I don't want this as a conversation in our household. We're not Mm -hmm. doing this. And we stand up for ourselves and we stand up for our bodies. And it's becoming 
stronger and better. And, and even though, like I said, it feels like it's just a right now thing and we want to blame the Kardashians and all that for stuff right now, this has been going on since the, like, since the early 1800s. There's always been fad diets. There's always been quick fixes. There's always been things that are, you know, damaging our mental illness and damaging our bodies. And we're so willing to buy into them because Again, we've perpetuated this notion that being thin equals being happy. I spent the majority of my thinnest years absolutely miserable and like beating myself and my body. I think a lot of it too had to do with, I had so much early childhood sexual abuse too, that the belief was always that my body is not my own and that, um, that it's owned Mm -hmm. by somebody Mm -hmm. else, you know what I mean? And they, it took up so much of just my energy and my mental space and all of that stuff. And so... Um, it was, it's been a very, very long journey and, um, one that I am grateful, um, that, you know, that now I'm in a place where I feel some recovery, you know, and, and some healing and I just, I'm so grateful. Like I said, in the beginning, like your account was the first time that I had seen a body similar to mine and it like all of its authenticity and glory and thought, Oh my God, <laughs> she's gorgeous. And this is beautiful. And like your joy and like your, your yeah. headspace, it, it comes Thank through you. your photos, you know, and, and there's something that's just so beautiful about that. And, and I do my best to do that too. Of course I post pictures where I'm like, Oh, I look hot right now. I'm going to post this picture. You deserve to look hot and post that picture. But, um, I really, <laughs> exactly. Um, but you know, the majority of I've moved away from really feeling like I need yes. to edit every single photo. Um, don't do that anymore. We look at social media and we often talk about what the negative impacts that it's had on us and, and our mental health. But then there's also the flip side and what we bring to the table and how we're actually changing the conversations and the very fabric of what mm-hmm. social media is. You know, we're starting to have these a little bit more challenging things. And like, trust me when I say like two years ago, the photos that I be post, that I post now would have terrified me and never would have been able to do it. This has been like a slow tiptoe mm-hmm. into a room. And now I do it and I'm just like, damn, like I look good. And I just, it's like a totally different, it's been a journey. (laughs) It's not just like a hip, like, it's not just like skipping down the road into like a happier future on social media. I followed intentionally women who showed me their own beauty in their own bodies in a very vulnerable way that somehow allowed me Mm -hmm. to start seeing it for myself too. We talk about comparison being the thief of joy, but it also like when you bond with somebody, like you're saying, like when you, when you see somebody that looks like you and they look beautiful or they're rocking their stretch marks, or maybe they're 200 pounds heavier than you. And you are just like, so attracted to their confidence. It changes something in us. It does something in our brains and it creates a different dialogue. It creates a new conversation. Our reflections like genuinely change. I had somebody tell me a couple, like a couple weeks ago, she's like, I followed you for like, because I really liked your journey through like being a single mom. I didn't really adhere to the body stuff. She's like, at all, I kind of thought like, that's just not for me. And she's like, but then the other day I was walking past the mirror and I realized that I don't know the last time that I stood in the mirror, like hating on my body. And she goes, and the only thing I could think of was, I think it's because you've been saying things that have changed the way I think. And I'm like, and I'm only changing the way I think because somebody else said it before me. We're all just trickling down this conversation. We're opening the doors for the next woman. Sometimes Mm -hmm. when it comes to like showing up, it's not about us anymore. Sometimes I go to the beach with my cellulite showing, not because I'm doing it for an, like for releasing myself and being vulnerable for myself, because I'm doing it for every little girl who's sitting on that beach for every mom who thinks that she's never going to be able to show up there again. I'm doing it to show them like, we, we don't need to strip ourselves away from this. We don't need to hide. We're all allowed to be here. We are all worthy of being here. And, you know, we're all beautiful and it looks different on everybody. And I think the more that we start to get out of our own heads about it and it being about us and our own reflection, we start realizing what a bigger picture this is and how important it is for us to just move past our own negative thinking and replacing it with something a lot better and a lot more empowering, not only for ourselves, but for the ripple effects outside of us. When we were talking about Brene Brown earlier, her book, Braving the Wilderness is kind of what shifted my recovery. I'm eight, a little over eight years sober now. Absolutely. Because I spent, sure, I got sober, um, but I spent 
a lot and it was in a really public way, but I moved to this community that was kind of like a Stepford mm-hmm. community. And we, um, and I was afraid when the moms would ask me if I wanted a glass of wine at every play date, I would always come up with some excuse and I was afraid to be like, no, actually, um, I'm a heroin yeah. addict <laughs> and I'm in recovery and I don't drink. And so I was so afraid to be authentically who I was and afraid to be honest about me and my journey and my experience. And after I read that book, Braving the Wilderness, everything shifted for me. I started this podcast. I changed all I was afraid back in the day. Like I'd be like, mom, don't post anything on my Facebook about my AA birthday. Don't blah, blah, blah. Because I don't want the other moms to see it. And then I was like, wait a second, you are doing so much for this world. And it, it would be absurd for you not to like allow that to shine. And I, and I've had, so that was like such a huge mo- a moment that. for me when I was like, you know what? Yeah. Fuck it. I'm going to do this podcast. My entire feed is going to be about like how I got sober. I got sober at 19 years old. Okay. Like I've survived heinous yes. sexual abuse, physical violence, so much trauma, eating disorder, all of these things. And people want to hear my story. And so I'm not going to be quiet for like the few friends that I might and you know what? lose Those when I say that need to hear you know, I've had an abortion or yeah. <laughs> whatever else, you know what I mean? And yeah, and they may need to hear because it Because if not for them, so, sometimes just to be know, a better support we... to somebody else. And I think we forget about that too, is even if we're sharing a story that doesn't yeah. identify with everybody, it might ad- identify with somebody in their circle. It might be something that 10 years down the road, one of their children deal with. We don't know what impacts it's going to have and what yeah. mustard seed it is going to grow into. But like, Yeah. I think that when you share your story, like I don't personally know somebody who's come through something like that, but when somebody came to me and said, like, I'm struggling with post addiction, I'm going to say like, here's an account that you should be following. You know, you become that like voice for those people. So I love that you kind of like really stepped into your like vulnerableness. Well, you gotta own it. We all have a story. Yeah. I mean, once I started owning it, Once I started owning it and like valuing my worth and even it was just even a few weeks ago, my sister and I went to Vegas. Um, uh, I'm friends with one of the wives of mm-hmm. a Backstreet Boy and he kept inviting me to go and inviting me to go. And I was like, OK. And he kept mentioning that like he might bring me on stage if I go. And I was like, no, like I can't do that. Like, I just really can't do that. Like, I just really don't want to go. And my sister was like my sister and one of the other wives was like, you know how much you've been through? Yeah, you deserve you that moment. Go up there and let them you serenade do. you, girl. Oh my you like gosh, rock it. Get it. up there with your confidence and do it. And I was like, you know what? Okay. And it's like these moments where um, I have a really hard time with being, with accepting mm-hmm. praise. Right? And like... Like imposter like syndrome? Owning... <laughs> just, I just have a hard time, um, when people, I have a hard time. And I know this sounds weird because like I spent a lot of my life in the spotlight, but like I have a, a lot of time being in the spotlight for positive yes. stuff. Cause I'm so used for to being negative. in the spotlight yeah. for negative stuff. And so it's been like kind of a lot of work. It's been a lot oh, of work. It makes sense. Um, trying to just be in this, in this space and to have to accept mm-hmm. compliments and to, you know, um, so many people. And at the same time, so many people write me and are like, I'm only sober because right. you got sober and you inspired me to get sober. And, and I have to remind them like, that's thank still you, you. But like, yeah, you got yeah, yourself sober. You. <laughs> and you so true. It. It's hard. I think um, to accept that's compliments, a lot. especially when we, I, I know for me, I have a lot of guilt around the fact that like, I went from being a single mom and like really struggling coming out of like a bad marriage and, you know, going through that season. And now it's like, I have a really good marriage and we have a really beautiful home and like, we're actually like, okay. And sometimes I have guilt about that, but like, I, I think it's a good thing. I think I just have awareness. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I feel like, why are good things happening? Like when's the other shoe going to drop or somebody will compliment me and be like, Oh my gosh, like you look so this. And I'm just like, 
instead of just like being like, no, 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 like deflecting it off or like when somebody will say something like, you're such a good writer, I'll be like, oh, I'm not a writer. I just like to like doodle down my thoughts. And finally, like last year, I was like, no, I'm a damn writer. Like, that's what I am. That's what I do. Writing, I'm a writer. Like if I run once, I'm a runner. Like it doesn't matter. We are the things and we don't need, there isn't like a level in which we have to surpass before, unless you're like a doctor, you can't just call yourself a doctor, but like there, there is no prerequisite to be the things that we are. And we, I'm, I'm in the same position because yes. I'm uncomfortable too when like we get compliments for certain things, but like I'm finally learning to lean into it and accept it. But in a gracious way, like I, I understand that like we can still like humbleness is, is really important. But I mean, it's confidence is like a hard thing when we talk about like something like a selfie. A lot of people are like, Oh, I hate selfies. Like they're just such a narcissistic act. And I'm like, can we for a moment? with all the things going on in the world and all the times we hate herself for that split second that a woman takes a picture of herself because she feels good. Let's celebrate it. Like the hell out of good. that selfie, Just right? Praise like, it. Yes. Yeah. It's, yes. it's hard. Comment, Comment like, like it. it. Love yeah. it. It's, it's important. It. It's important for us to like give compliments yes. and it's important for us to like receive them and create a more positive conversation around everything. Mm-hmm. Oh Thank my gosh. Thank you so much. Thank you. On. Sarah, I really appreciate it. This was such an amazing yeah. interview. And I know that my community and all communities can really benefit from this dialogue. And so I appreciate you and thank you so much. This week's affirmation is I dedicate my time to create a safe and secure space for myself wherever I am. And so it is. 